0: Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. I'm assuming you're out there somewhere. It's tough in these lights, but it's great to, to welcome you to our service tonight. You know, um, you're probably getting tired of me saying this, but I became a grandfather this year for the, for the first time. And so this is my, my first Christmas as a grandfather. And I've, I've learned a couple of things. In fact, my granddaughter is here tonight in uh, the back. So if you hear a baby crying, it's probably mine. My, my. Actually, she's really... Sweet disposition, so he doesn't cry much. But I've learned a couple of things related to this. One, six-month-olds are not a lot of fun to shop for for Christmas. (laughs) You know, you walk through the aisles and you think, man, they're going to be a lot more fun to shop for when they're four and five. You know, they make, like, these battery-operated machines that they can sit in that look like Mack trucks, and they just... They just are a whole lot cooler than a new bib or a cute outfit, I got to tell you. You know, because there's not a whole lot you can buy for for a six-month-old. The other thing that's really struck me is that the account of the birth of Jesus is very much at home in the 21st century. You know, um, not only what God did, but how he did it. Because if you haven't noticed... The gospel account is full of one reveal story after another. Let me tell you a little bit my, about my journey of becoming a grandfather. The first reveal party that we had was, in, was Thanksgiving of 2020. Uh, my son and daughter-in-law came to our house for, for Thanksgiving. Actually, her parents came with them. And when they showed up, the dog was wearing a scarf. And the very last one to notice that the scarf said, big sister, was me, all right? So they're all standing around the kitchen, and they're giddy and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? And, and, and my son says, dad, read the scarf. Oh, you know? but the big reveal moment. I got to tell you, the, the second one, and probably really the, one of the sweetest ones, was when they revealed whether they were having a boy or a girl. You know, this is the, the era of COVID, right? So many expectant moms have had to go to the doctor by themselves, and that was true as well for our daughter-in-law. And so they wanted to know what the gender of the child was going to be, but, but she didn't want to know before him. And so they decided to make it that they would, we would all find out together, them, us, and her parents as well. So when she went to the doctor that day, and they were able to determine the gender of the child, she asked the technician to put um, the, the gender in an envelope and seal it. So then she took the envelope, and she went to a local bakery. She said, I want you to make a cake. I want it to be a two-layer cake. So the outside was frosting. It's weird that I remember the cake, right? But the outside was white frosting, right, you know, et cetera. And she said, so if it's a boy, I want you to put blue filling between the two layers. And if it's a girl, I want you to put pink filling between the two layers. And so we all got together for lunch on a Saturday. We had a great meal together. Of course, we were kind of anxious for dessert, if you will. And the time came, and, and out came the cake. And, and I can remember her mom, in particular, was watching the knife come out of the first cut. you know. And, and, and it was pink. And so we had a baby girl. And the, the, the which it's sweet moment. And then, of course, the third reveal was on July the 4th, the day after she was born where we got to walk in to the maternity room where our daughter-in-law was with our granddaughter, Reagan. And our son was guiding us in. He had to meet us outside and kind of walk us through all the protocols of getting into a hospital during COVID. And we got to see into whole for the very first time our granddaughter, Reagan. Lots of reveal parties. There are experiences that I'll never forget. But when you think about the Christmas story, it's full of reveal stories. We've read about three of those tonight, correct? We read about the one where the angel shows up and reveals to Mary what's going to happen. She doesn't understand how it can happen. She doesn't even necessarily understand why it's going to happen. But she, it is revealed to her what God is going to do. And she answers with that tremendous line, let it be done to me as the Lord's servant. That's one reveal party, if you will. Then there's the one to Joseph. Joseph doesn't really know what's going on. He doesn't really want to hurt or whatever. And he has, a, he has a revelation, if you will, a reveal party in the midst of a dream where an angel speaks to him. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she's going to give birth to a son. And you are to name him Jesus. Because he will, be, he will save his people. From their sins second reveal party right then the shepherds shepherds are out on their hillside right they're watching their flocks it's a normal night and then all of a sudden a reveal party breaks out as the sky fills with angelic beings who are singing hosts about peace on earth and goodwill to men and and they're told about a child that's been born that's in the city of David and they are told that he is going to be a savior who is Christ the Lord But actually, there's more reveal parties than that as well. You you notice that as the angel was talking to Mary, he referred to the fact that her cousin Elizabeth had become pregnant. And we read about that story in the very beginning verses of the Gospel of Luke, where Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, is serving in the temple, and it's his job at the end of the day to go in and, and make sure there's enough supplies before the Holy of Holies to get through the night. And as he goes in, he meets an angel, and the angel reveals to him, right, reveals to him that finally, after they had given up all hope, they are going to become parents. In fact, it's so hard for him to believe that that's actually going to happen then he says, how am oh I going to know this? And the, and, and the angel says, well, here's a sign for you. You're not going to be able to talk for the next nine months. And he's muted for the next nine. So he can't reveal it early, if you will. Another reveal party. And the one I think I like the best is when God puts like a bat signal in the sky, right? It's known as the star that the wise men see from a foreign land. And they travel 1,000 miles to be able to show up in the presence of the one who was born the savior of the world. The Christmas story, just like the birth of my granddaughter's story, is full of reveal moments. And I believe God wanted us to see something very clearly. The reason why he had not one, not two, not three, but four or five reveal stories. In fact, when you read through the Gospel of Luke, when 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 the angel is speaking to Zechariah, he tells him that the job of his son, whom we know as John the Baptist, is that when Jesus gets ready to start his public ministry, he's going to be the one out in front preparing the way. He's going to be yelling to everybody, pay attention. He's going to be the forerunner or the revealer that the ministry of the Savior is ready to get started. It's full of reveal parties, and the reason why is because God wants to make sure that we don't miss the point. And here's the point. reason why God revealed it not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five times and more, depending upon how you want to count it, He wanted to make sure that we would see crystal clear that there's a Savior available to every single one of us. He wanted us to make sure that we didn't miss the point. And so over and over again, he makes it clear that there, he, you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Today for you, born in the city of David, is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He wanted to make it crystal clear. Why? Because every single one of us needs a Savior. It's a message that's relevant to every single one of us. Why do I say that? Let me give you two reasons, right? One, pretty typical of what you're going to hear in a church. The other one, you might find a little interesting. First one, because this book tells us so. You say, well, all right, it's the Bible. I get that. You guys, listen, the same book that tells us that God is love tells us that we're in need of a Savior, the same book that tells us that we are made in God's image, and that's why we have value. That's why we have worth. That's why we have dignity, and our lives are sacred. The very Bible that tells us that we are made in God's image, and with that we have this incredible worth because we are made in the image of God, tells us we need a Savior. The same Bible that tells us that, that all, things, all good things come from above tells us we need a Savior. Over and over again, the same word that we build some of our our lives on, some of the greatest promises and truths of God that really are the foundations of our culture even, the same book tells us that we need a Savior. It puts it this way, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of those sin is death. And that means we need a Savior. We need somebody to rescue us. Gratefully, all things are impossible all, all things are possible with God, and we have a Savior. But he, here's, here's the second reason I'd give you as to why we need a Savior. It's because I think God's standards are higher than an auto manufacturer's. Let me say that over again, right? I believe God's standards are actually higher than an auto manufacturer. Let me unpack that just a little bit. Maybe you'll remember this. Maybe you won't. Who knows? For a season in our church, we had a guy who was a part of our church, and his job was he was the quality control director for a manufacturing plant, manufacturing company that had a very large plant in Worcester, but had some plants in some different parts of the world, and they made plastic parts, and those plastic parts were almost exclusively sold to the major car manufacturers around the world. So I was having breakfast with him one morning, and we were talking a little bit about what he does and this and that, and I said, well, 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 what is that really like, you know? And he said to me, I said, you know, he said, well, this is the standard that the auto manufacturers give to us. They want to have one defect out of one million parts, right? Because the manufacturers say to them, there are two things that people always want to work, their cars and their refrigerators. Right, and so you, you, what you're gonna buy. So, so before anybody shells out anywhere between 25 grand and 125 grand for a new car, they want to make sure that their car is gonna run. So, the standard of the manufacturers is that you can only have. They want to have less than one defective part out of one million that their people provide, that their manufacturers provide. That's pretty high standards. God's standards are actually higher. He wants to have zero defects out of a million. Why? Because he's perfect. Heaven's perfect, and heaven's forever. And he doesn't want to let you in if he doesn't want to put up with you forever, right? (laughs) And so I think about it this way. I did a little math. One million seconds adds up to 11 and a half days. So when you think about our need for a Savior, think about it this way. From now until noontime on January 5th, right, from now until you can't have one moment where you're just off key a little bit. You can't be impatient or angry like Tom was talking about just a moment ago. Some of you are going to make calls to family on Christmas Day, and you're going to be tempted to roll your eyes at some of the things your your family said. Uh-uh, that's it. You blew it. One of, those, one of those one million seconds you blew it. One need that you walk by and don't address in the list. Just one thought that's selfish or uncaring or unkind and the list goes on. You get the idea. It's, it's impossible for us to do. And, and that's, just for the, that's just for one million seconds. Just think about what it would be like to do it for the lifetime of a car. I mean, you're not going to buy a car just to get through 11 and a half days. Most of us want to buy a car and hopefully it'll last 11 and a half years. Right? And God's standards are just a little bit higher than an auto manufacturer's. And because of that, we need a Savior. And so God had not one, not two, not three, not four, but five reveal parties in the Christmas story so that you and I would know that there's a Savior available to us. The real thing for us is whether or not he's our Savior or just the Savior. You know, we've been doing a series here at Hope Chapel that we're concluding tonight called Christmas Treasured, and you read in the Gospel of Luke just a moment ago as, as Scott was reading for us that as the shepherds left, the Scripture tells us that Mary treasured all these things in her heart and was meditating upon them. And here's what I'd love for you to treasure about the fact that there's a Savior Available for you and I. First of all, God hasn't given us a religion. God has granted us the possibility of having a personal relationship with Him. Tom talked all about that. It's not about having a religion where we do certain things, but it's about having a relationship. It's not about celebrating an historical experience. But it's it's about celebrating a personal experience because he's become our savior. You see, you know, just to kind of pull the images together, we we can we can see the star in the sky, the divine bat signal that calls us, right? We can we can listen to the heavenly host sing to us as we're sitting around the fire pit at night, right? We can hear all that stuff, but unless we actually walk into the room like I walked into the room and picked up my granddaughter, we really miss out on the greatest treasure of Christmas, which is Jesus being our Savior. And I'd love to continue in that, condition, that, that tradition of, the, of Christmas, of being a part of God's announcing of revealing that He has a Savior for you and for me. And you can enter into that relationship by just simply admitting that you need a Savior, that just maybe out of a few of those one million seconds, you just didn't quite make it, and you need forgiveness. And believe that Jesus is that Savior, and commit your life to walking with him. And then you'll have the greatest treasure of all. You'll have a Savior That's yours. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for your revelation that there's a Savior. And we celebrate that it's possible for us to have a relationship with that Savior. I invite you to step into that relationship today, to walk into that spiritual hospital and meet the Savior who's lying in a major that can change your life for eternity. God, do what only you can do in us. And thank you for the treasure of not a new religion, but of a brand new relationship with you that lasts for eternity. And we, and we offer this prayer In the name of the one who came and lived and died and was resurrected and ascended as our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.